This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Um, I wrote one of, one of two things are coming to America. And I wrote this Friday morning after what happened in New York the week before, what happened, tried to happen in Virginia on Thursday. Um, regarding uh, infanticide, I won't call it abortion, even though it is, it's worse than that. One of two things are coming to America, either the people of God will be revived and the tide that is sweeping over us reversed, or God's people will retreat into irrelevance and the nation will continue to circle the drain. Christianity, or Christian, either way, talking to you and me, either way, it starts with us. It doesn't start inside the beltway. It doesn't start in the state capitol. It starts in the church. And the gates of hell are powerless unless we give up. I think, it's, we, I think we really need to begin to pray in this country for revival. Uh, what we're seeing happening right now and what took place in New York, what was attempted in Virginia the other day is going to be attempted in all 50 states in the coming weeks and months. Uh, we need to be very serious about going to God and first of all, praying for revival, but please understand that revival begins with you and me. Revival begins with personal repentance to say to God, I haven't done my part in praying. I haven't done my part in speaking up. I haven't done my part in standing against what's taking place in this country. And I think we've got to, folks, or or as I said, we'll continue circling the drain. And also pray this, because Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come. I don't know how many times I said to Jesus on Friday, Lord, I wish you would come today. I don't know how you can stand it, watching what's happening. Because judgment's coming to our country. And, uh, and so let's pray. What I'd like to do right now is just take a moment to bow in, in prayer and ask you, in, um, just in silence in your own heart, speak to God. And maybe you, you need to repent. I think we all do. There's some things that we're just being lackadaisical about, not being the holy men and women of God in this country and speaking up for righteousness. And again, let me say, I don't believe this is a political problem. This is a church problem. Let's not yell at all the politicians and call them all kinds of names. Let's call ourselves the names, idolaters, whatever it is that we need to call ourselves. This is where it begins. Revival doesn't happen in D.C. or in Richmond or in Raleigh or wherever. It happens in the church. It happens with us. So let's go to the Lord and take a moment and express some things to God from your heart, will you? God, I'm concerned for our country and our world, but I'm concerned for this United States of America in which you've placed us. We desperately need revival. And I'm concerned, Father, because my children and my grandchildren have a long time probably to go 
living in this land and it does not look, things continue as they are, it doesn't look uh, promising in so many ways, but especially in regarding life. And I think God of the last great revival we had in this country was nearly 50 years ago. And I remember it well. My kids and my grandkids, they have no idea what revival across the country, this country looks like. And I would pray, God, that they would experience that. It starts with me. It starts with everybody in this room. And my prayer is that God across this country of revival would sweep. And if you would be so merciful, we would appreciate, God, if maybe it started right here, but we need to get serious with you. I pray for the unborn. I pray for those who are carrying them. That people will realize, God, this is a life that you've created. Regardless of the circumstances, this is a human being that Jesus died for. And that we would, as Christians, be on our knees seeking you and asking God that this tide might be turned. Let it start here today with me, with us. If that would be your will, in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter six. Um, This won't surprise anyone here, even if it's your first time to worship with us. And if it it is, by the way, your first time, let me again say we're glad you're here. Um, Our church, this is what won't surprise you. Nagsay Church is a family of Christians. Uh, meaning men and women, young people who have individually put our faith in one person, Jesus Christ, and have joined together, covenanted together, agreed together to serve him uh, together, called together as a family. Uh, Christianity, having a relationship with him as Lord and Savior, is built around a systematic theology, if I can explain it that way, a, a set of beliefs. What are those some of those beliefs that were built around. Uh, For example, and it's systematic. Systematic means it starts here and logically progresses. It's not just kind of, oh, here and everywhere. Systematically. But we, for example, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We hold that to be true here at Nagshead Church. We're not ashamed of that. We're, We're very grateful for that. We believe he's the Son of God. We also believe that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, died on the cross. We believe that on the third day, and we sang this just a moment ago that he, on, on that third day, he began to breathe. He came back to life. On the third day, he rose from the dead alive. And because of those beliefs, if you believe both of those, that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus came and lived and died on the cross and rose from the dead, then you have to believe this because it's systematic. Logically, you must believe that he lived a sinless life that the life that he lived from the time that he was born in Bethlehem until, until he was crucified on the cross, not one cross word was ever said. Not one bad attitude was ever had by teenage Jesus. <laughs> Picture that, parents. He lived a sinless life. He never did anything, thought anything, spoke anything that was not godly. God would not have raised him. How do you know that, Rick? Had he had one sinful thought, had he committed one sinful act, had he had one wrong attitude in his entire life, he would have never been raised from the dead. He would have remained in the dead. 
That means that everything he ever said, by the way, was true. And again, had he been a liar about who he was? Had he even been meant so mentally unstable that he was deluded into thinking he was the son of God, he would still be in the grave today. We believe that. And beliefs like that, if that's what you and I believe, beliefs like that compel you and me to live differently. Differently from who we were before we realized this and accepted him as our savior. We live differently. Now follow along with me very carefully, very closely here, all right? If we claim him to be our Lord, and if I said, how many of you here today believe Jesus is your Lord? Most of us would raise our hand. Yes, he is, and we're, we're glad for that. If I claim him to be my Lord, then I'm obligated, and at the same time motivated by my love for him to obey what he says. The word Lord means he's the one that has control. It means he's, he's Lord of my, he's sovereign over my life. So if he's my Lord, I'm obligated to be obedient to him. One time he asked a question to those around him. He said, hey guys, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do the things I say? Another time he said to them, if you love me, prove it. And the proof is what? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do what I say. So again, we're thinking logically and systematically. That means this. Here's where I want you to mentally hang here with me. It means if, when I obey him, how many of us obey Jesus? Do you ever sin? Oh, both of my hands are up. Okay, I do. That's disobedience. When I obey him, or disobey him, hear me now, he at that moment Can I say that again? At that moment, he is not my Lord. Really? I really believe that when Jesus, when Peter said, no, we're not going to go to Jerusalem. I'm not going to let you go there and die. I'm going to stop you, do everything within my power to keep that from happening. And Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. I think for a moment there, he was not Peter's Lord. In fact, Jesus called him his enemy. Get behind me. Not in front of me. And I believe that when we disobey him, I am saying at that moment, by the way, let me back up to Peter. Did Peter get things right, move on, do great things for God in his life? Of course he did. So I'm saying he can be your Lord right now, but maybe not five minutes from now. Does that mean I lost my salvation? No, your salvation is not dependent upon him being your Lord. It's about him being your Savior. My Lord is when I give him my life. When I say I, when I disobey him, I am saying to him at that moment, nor do I love you. I don't love you because he said, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, I'm saying to him, I don't love you. So I am so thankful for his grace and his forgiveness, aren't you? I'm so thankful that he is always there at, at sitting there or at, at, by the right hand of God waiting to hear me say, Lord Jesus, I, I disobeyed. I confess that to you. And as a Christian, that takes care of things. Right? So I'm so grateful for his grace and, and forgiveness. So in other words, what I'm saying this morning is logically and systematically that if Jesus is Lord, I can't say Jesus is Lord and mean it, unless I am his servant, doing his will. I can't sing, oh, how I love Jesus, and be involved in sin. It's hypocritical. It's 
opposite of what I'm supposed to be. So let me ask you some questions. All right, you can just nod at me with the answer if your answer is affirmative. Does he want me to live as though he is my Lord? What do you think? Yeah, he does. He wants me to live under his lordship, under his control. Does he want me to love him? Of course he does. In fact, he said this, the great commandment. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. That's how much he wants me to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. Do you believe that? Let me ask that again. Do you believe that? Yeah. Okay, be careful. Because the question that arises this month in this series, this series Matters of the Heart, is this. He wants me to love him with all my heart. Does he want me to love him with my money? Does he want me to love him with my money? I want to prove to you today that he does. It's real simple to show you. He asked for all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind. So did he mean all of my finances? And some people would say, no, he just wants 10%. That's what a tithe is, 10%. I think we're going to clearly see that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Look with me at Matthew 6, 21. It's up on the screen. I want us to say it together. Read it with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart, there's that word heart again. In the great commandment again, he said to love him with all of my what? Heart. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. Here he ties. Here's what Jesus is doing right there. He's tying my heart, and I'll talk about what that means today, with my wallet. He's saying there is a connection between them. If we believe everything that Jesus said was true, and what did he say about then about managing money? Was that true? And he said some things about managing money. Did he say anything all about it? Yeah, a number of things. And this month we're going to look at the things Jesus said about money, and he had some important things to say. I've heard it said, and I can't tell you that I have said this, although I wouldn't surprise me because I've heard it said so many times that Jesus said more about money management than he did about heaven and hell combined, but I'm here to tell you as I've studied the scriptures, that's not true. He did say a lot about heaven and hell. He didn't talk about money quite as much. Now, some people say, yeah, but what about, for example, the parable in Luke 15 of the woman who lost her coin? Remember that parable? She lost her coin, and she literally tore her house apart trying to find that coin, and she finally found it. She lost a coin. She lost money. But the parable's not about money. It's about what? Being lost. Then two parables after that, that whole chapter is three parables in there, lost coin, lost sheep, lost son, there's a son who gets an inheritance from his God, from his dad, and he wastes it. Well, is the whole purpose, the purpose at all in that parable about wasting inheritance? No, the purpose of that parable is about being lost and finding God to be a forgiving and gracious welcoming father. That's what that parable is about, not about money. So there's many times he talks about money. In Luke chapter 15, he tells the story of a rich man and a poor man, a beggar named Lazarus. The rich man died and went to hell. Lazarus died and went to Abraham's bosom, to paradise. And he tells this story about, the. does that mean that rich people go to heaven? Is that condemning 
wealth and, and saying you ought to be a beggar? Is that about money management at all? And the answer, of course, is no. That's about salvation. Even though money is part of the story. Now, I know some of you are thinking, because a lot of you have been, most of you probably, have been to Nags Head Church for a while, and you know, if we're really honest, we don't talk a lot about money and giving here. We don't. Um, in fact, I went back and looked, and the last time you heard a sermon on money, money, Bernie, was June 3rd last summer when you preached a sermon in a series called Living Wisely. You preached a sermon on living wisely in your finances, June 3rd. So it's been seven months or eight months or something like that. Before that, I did a series on money and giving in, in March of 2015. That's almost four years ago. Before that, I did a series in 2013. Before that, in May of 2011. So I would say we're due. I would say we're overdue to talk about this. And I say that because I shared three weeks ago, and, we, and when I did this um, state of the church message, whatever it takes, I shared the stat that only 30% of our church partners are consistently generous in our giving, 30% carrying the load of the rest financially. That's a weak percentage. And I told you that indicates that there is a need here in our congregation for some encouragement, for some dedication, for some teaching regarding our personal finances as a church. Now, beyond the sermon series, we're going to do something really practical to help us out. March 16th, Saturday. Write this date down in your notes somewhere where you have it. March 16th, Saturday. From 9.30 to 3.30, Bernie's going to be leading a one-day financial workshop. The name of it is, I once was broke, but now I'm not. Is that it? Pretty close. I used to be broke, and now I'm not. All right? Most of us can say, I know the first part really well. I'm not sure about the second yet, but I know the first part. He's going to be doing a a one-day workshop for us. He's going to talk about budgeting, how to budget your money, what you have, your income. He's going to talk about ways to reduce debt, right? How to save money. I just did that this past week. I cut the cord at my house. You know what that means? I'm no longer paying DirecTV $125 a month for television television. Television and internet, essentially. Uh, I'm not doing that. I cut them loose. I said, I don't want you anymore. And I went to a, an internet TV thing at 40 bucks a month. I'm saving a few pennies, all right, uh, to do that. Uh, he's going to talk about ways to reduce bet, debt, and he's going to talk about how to save and how to invest for the future. And this workshop, Bernie, am I correct? It's open to anybody, whether they go to Nagshead Church or not. You don't have to be a partner in this church to go. Andy's going to tell you more about that uh, later on. But I'm going to sign up for it. Uh, I, I want to be there. Um, but let's look, before I get, get ramped up here, let's look at that, that verse again, Matthew 6, 21. I want you to memorize this verse this week, and it's real easy. All right, you could do it. Say it with me again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, Jesus had, he had just, when he said this, if you back up a few verses, he had just said some radical things about making investments. And we'll come back to that later in the series. But here's what he said real quickly. He said, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Cars rust, don't they? Unless it's a Corvette. You know, cars rust. <laughs> and, and, and you see these, 
these v- people take videos of people on the beach road after we've had all this overwash from the ocean, and they say, let's see how big a fantail I can create with my automobile, and their car's going to rust. Cars rust. I, I, I had a sport coat that I bought. It wasn't very old, but I went to pull it out, I think, last year and, and to put it on, and it had a hole up here in the shoulder of it. Not a big hole, but a hole big enough to notice. It had a hole in there. I thought, what in the world? And apparently there, a moth got in there. I guess I got to invest in some mothballs. But apparently a moth got in there and ate, ate a hole in the shoulder. If you have money in the stock market, if you have money in mutual funds, and some of you, you're retired, and that's your income, that's how you're, you're living, uh, you know how quickly that money can be lost, don't you? Man, it can shoot up today, and next week it can take it to hive. Easy come, easy go. He went on to say, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Now you go to your, next time you meet with your financial advisor, if you have one, say, hey, I read this thing about Jesus and he says for me to to put all my investments in heavenly things. What do you think? (laughs) You might not understand what you're talking about. And then he concludes with this verse that we've already read a couple times about treasure in our hearts. Now, when you think of the word treasure, here's what I think of. I think of this when I think of treasure. <laughs> but let's see what Jesus said. He wasn't talking about that. All right, let's see what Jesus says. First of all, we're looking at this verse, verse 21. Jesus, first of all, we need to understand that the word treasure is synonymous with valuables. Valuables, the things we value, place value and worth on. For, for us, treasures could be anything from a walk on the beach in that pretty shell or beach glass that we picked up. Those are treasures to some people. To our home. We, we have major investment in our homes. To our retirement. And, and those things that we place value, we see them as being very important. We treasure those things. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus also said that treasure has a place because he said where your treasure is, meaning where giving, meaning location, where it's a place, where your treasure is. Now, where is my treasure? Where is your treasure? And the answer is real simple. This is not a trick question. Your treasure is wherever you put it. Isn't that easy? My treasure is wherever I put it. When I hear treasure, I, you know, like I said, I hear some, you know, somebody like Blackbeard in a chest full of gold that legend says is buried somewhere on a beach on Ocracoke Island. Yeah. It's hidden away. It's buried. My great-grandmother used to keep money under the mattress in the bed in a sock, I'm told. That's where her secret stash was that my great-grandfather probably didn't know about. You know. And if I spend it, if I spend my treasure, and by the way, the only way you ever buy anything is by spending treasure. Money is treasure. If I spend it, my treasure is in whatever I purchased. All right? So you buy a car, you, you put just, that car becomes part of your treasury, so forth. So where is your treasure this morning? This is a question you need to ask today before you leave. Where is my treasure? Well, some of my treasure, where, does our, where do our treasures go? Some of our treasures go to necessities. Necessities. Things like food, clothing, shelter, utilities, transportation to and from work, health care, retirement income, 
The Bible says this in 1 Timothy 5.8, now if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, and especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So the Bible says it is a godly thing for my treasure to be used to provide for the necessities of the life of my family and those I love. That's a godly thing. It could be used for accessories. Treasure can be accessorize, accessorize, accessorize. Men going, what in the world does that mean? Ladies understand it. Accessories. Accessories are the things that are not necessary, food, clothing, shelter, so forth. They're not necessary, but they sure do make life more enjoyable, don't they? When we were kids, they were toys. Those were our accessories. And although we don't have children in this room right now, we can look around and say, you know, everybody in this room has a toy or two, don't we? Manicures. My wife loves to go every once in a while and get her manicure done, make her toenails pretty, you know, that kind of thing. Recreational accessories, because we live near the water. We have boats and jet skis and surfboards and fish and tackle. Unless you're going to live off those fish that you catch, those are not necessities, but they make life fun. Was life supposed to be fun? Well, let me say, the accessories are not necessarily evil. God surely, I think, wants us to enjoy blessings. In fact, Ecclesiastes 5.19, Solomon said, God has also given riches and wealth to every man. That means everybody has some treasure. Some have more, some have less, but everybody has some treasure. He's given riches and wealth to every man, and he has allowed him to enjoy the riches and wealth, those things to take his reward and rejoice in his labor. By the way, there's another principle there that, about hard work. That's where our treasure should come from. And then he concludes with this. He said, this is a gift of God, being able to enjoy things. Right? Nothing wrong with being able to enjoy things. But is it possible, church, is it possible to go overboard in the accessories and by doing so, take away from some of the necessities? Can we do that? Of course we can and at that point, the accessories become liabilities. And liabilities would run the gamut from accessories that, first of all, we can't afford. I can't really afford this, but I deserve it. You ever told yourself that? With things we can't afford, and then because we can't afford them, the next liability in line is that we're drowning in debt. Or liabilities could be a habit that robs us of our assets that could be used for better things but are sucking our finances dry. I have a friend on the West Coast. He's a lawyer in Southern California. He is a personal injury kind of lawyer. He makes money like crazy doing what he's been doing. He's got, I don't know how much he's worth, but he's got a lot of money. He's a good Christian guy good Christian wife. And he joked one time to me and he told me about his wife and he jokes that his wife's habit is Nordstrom's. Right? Now, a liability could be a credit card that convinces your mind because I have this piece of plastic and I haven't reached my balance yet or my limit. Could be a credit card that convinces us 
that, you know what, I've got, I can handle the debt. They wouldn't have given me this if I couldn't take care of it, right? Would you look at this? I found this statistic here just the other day. More than 160 million Americans have credit cards. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you have a credit card, I have, I have a debit card and a credit card, and the debit card can act as a credit card, but I have a couple cards. Actually, more than that, because I have a Lowe's card, and when I spend my stuff at Lowe's, I get 5% off by using my card. So uh, we have credit cards. The average credit card holder has at least three cards. And on average, each, get this, each household with a credit card carries more than $15,000 in credit card debt. And some of you can give testimony. That stuff, that credit card debt will eat you alive. It will consume your life. It will enslave you. So where's your treasure this morning? Jesus said about this treasure, he said it's personal because he said, your treasure, your treasure. We all have treasure. Now, understand we're not all equal in that department and I don't think we're supposed to be. I don't think there's some idyllic society where everybody has the same thing. They've tried that and it fails miserably. We're not all equal in that. In fact, Jesus acknowledged that. He said, Matthew 26, 11, You'll always have the poor among you. That's a fact of life, okay? But we all have treasure of some kind. There will always be in life the haves and the have-nots. But we learn about treasure being personal. When do we learn that? When we're toddlers. If we were to grab a two-year-old out of the nursery right now and bring him in here, and he's holding his or her, she's holding her little favorite doll, he brings in his little favorite Tonka truck, Right? And we bring them in here, and I said, bring that toddler and bring the toddler up here and set that child right here beside me, holding that toy. And I reach over and I grab that toy, and I'm stronger than that child, and I pull it away from him, and I look at her and I say, look at him or her, and I say the words that every toddler knows so well, mine. Don't they know that? Mine. When I do that, I have just begun an argument with that child who's going to argue with me, oh, no, it is not yours. It is mine. That's going to be the next word out of their mouth. Try to take it back. Why? Because that treasure, and that's their treasure. You can give them money, and they don't care. They don't know what that is. But you give them a little toy, that's, that's treasure. That treasure is personal. That treasure belongs to him or to her. And by nature, our natures, we don't like to have our treasure stolen from us, do we? Some of you have had burglars come into your home when you're not there and take things out of your home. Some of you maybe have even been robbed. And now we're in the season when some of us are already griping. It's February. And we know April 15th is coming. We're already griping about filling out our tax return and paying the government all that money. Some of us are going to do that. We don't like to surrender what's ours. I worked hard for that money. I think it's ironic, by the way, that immediately following this season of giving and gaining treasure that we call Christmas, that it's followed right up by the season of paying taxes, you know. <laughs> now I'm going to take it away from you. Jesus said treasure is personal. He also said treasure reveals our passions and our priorities. Because he used the word heart. 
And he wasn't talking about this fist-sized muscle in the middle of your chest that pumps your blood. That's not the heart he's speaking of. He's speaking about your, your passions and your priorities. He's using the word heart again to connect our treasures, our valuables, our money, our finances, however you want to describe it. He's using that, that verse, those things he said to connect our treasure with our souls, with what makes us really tick. What Jesus was saying is simple. He was saying how we use our valuables, our wealth, our finances, demonstrates what's in our hearts. You've heard me say in the past that there are two things that reveal what's truly heartfelt. How do you know a person's passions and priorities? You'll look at two things. Number one, you look at their calendar and see how does he, she spend her time. Because once time is gone, you can't get it back. What's more valuable than our time? How, you look at their calendar, and then secondly, you look at their checking account. How do we spend our treasure, our money? Because that reveals about our heart as well. So just by the verses that we've read here today, just a few, we know that Jesus didn't avoid talking about money. It wasn't taboo. It wasn't something he said, I'm not going to go there. And he didn't talk about money because Jesus wanted riches. He wasn't a prosperity preacher on TV, getting up before everybody. He didn't get up in the Sermon on the Mount with all those people there or when he did the the, uh, the loaves and the fish, and there were maybe 20,000 people there. He didn't get up and say, okay, now, first thing I want to say is, if you want to do better in life financially, you need to send me, give me, bring me a seed. Bring me $100, bring me $1,000, and God will bless it tenfold. He didn't use all kinds of crazy tactics like that. He didn't care about it. In fact, he said, he said the birds and the foxes have places to sleep, but I don't. He wasn't avoiding talking about money, but he's the king of kings. Jesus talked about money and giving and investing and trusting God with it. Here's why. Because he knew what a great temptation money can be to us. You ever been tempted with money? And that's easy. You ever been tempted to buy something you can't afford? Have you ever been tempted to gamble? Does that include buying a $1 lottery ticket? Yeah, you ever been tempted to, to waste money? You ever been tempted to hoard it? He knew the temptations that come along with money. He knew that, for example, here's some temptations. He knew that if we have it, money can become our security. He said something like it's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. What was he saying? If, if it's your security, you're in trouble He's, <clears throat> excuse me, he said if we don't have it, somebody say, that's me today, thank you for bringing me into the conversation. If we don't have money, and others do, it can be a source of, <coughs> excuse me, envy. Lord, won't you buy me Mercedes Benz? Janice sang. My friends all have Porsches. I must make amends. Envy. Keeping up with the Joneses. He knew the temptation, if we don't have it, it can be envious. He knew the temptation that if we do have it, we can waste it. Just kind of go and look at the people who have won the, the lotteries, those millions of dollars, and 
They, lose, they win the lottery, and they're set for life, yet five years later, they're living in a sleeping bag underneath an overpass because they wasted it. Wasted it. Look at these athletes who make millions of dollars of years, uh, a year, and then when their career's over, they've got nothing. What happened to it? So let's say it again. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Say that with me one more time. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, this quote from Jesus forces you and me to answer a few questions. Question number one. Did he mean what he said? And we've already, I've heard you say, yes, Jesus meant what he said. When he, whatever he said was true. You agreed with me, right? Early on, I said, well, be careful. Because did he mean what he said? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Did he mean that? What do you think? You know, I, I really don't believe Jesus said stuff just to hear himself talk. I don't believe Jesus was a narcissist. I don't believe Jesus, after the feeding of the 5,000 or the Sermon on the Mount with all those people or some of the things, you know, as he strode and rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, I don't think Jesus went, it was all over, turned around, looked at his disciples, and he said, I must be really important, don't you think? I don't think he was that way. He didn't talk just to hear himself talk. And if he meant what he says, and most of you would agree that he meant what he said there, then we have to ask this question. So what am I going to do with my earthly treasures? What am I going to do with them? And you might say, well, I don't know. I don't know that Jesus really meant what he said. Okay, then what are you going to do with this book, the Bible? Because if we can't trust this saying from Jesus, what else is in here that we cannot trust? Either it's the word of God or it is not. Amen? It sounds like from what Jesus said here about our treasure, it sounds like he wants our treasure, my treasure, your treasure, to be used and managed in a way that brings God glory. I think that's what the point is. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, does that include how I spend my money, how I use my money? Whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Uh, so I asked the question early on, can we love God with our money? And the answer is what? We can. We can glorify God with our money, with our treasure. Does that include how I handle money, glorifying him? Yes. Can my treasure bring, bring him glory? And the answer is Yes. How does that happen? And that's where we're going to go in the next three weeks in this series. And, and let me say to you, trust me, please trust me on this. This isn't a month to pick and choose what Sundays you attend. You need to be here to listen to these things because they might be for you life-changing. And so you need to decide, I would say right now, you know what, unless I'm dead or dying, I'm not going to miss, because this really is the heart, as Jesus said, the heart of the matter. Would you bow your heads with me? Our money and how we use it can make or break us. Our money and how we use it tells a lot about us. 
Now, in, in a group this large, and I don't know this for certain about anybody, so I'm, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, but in a group this large, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the marriages represented in this room are in danger right now because of finances. Because one thing we know in the United States, the number one cause of divorce in this country is money. Some of us who are here this morning would say, you know what, I'm barely afloat financially. I'm, I'm sinking fast because of how I've handled or maybe mishandled my treasure. Some of us, frankly, are wasting what God's given us, and one day we'll have to stand before him and explain that to him because he wants the treasure we have received, whether it be from hard work whether it be from, and that's a godly virtue, hard work, whether it be from wise savings, and that's another godly virtue, or maybe you just, your ship came in and, and you got an inheritance. He wants our treasure to be used for his glory. So let me say as we bow our heads and give you time, just a moment to speak to God. If you see this morning that you probably have some attitude adjustments regarding finances that need to be made, would you take just a moment while we're silent, our heads are bowed, and just tell that to the Lord. God, obviously in my life there's some things that need improving, some changing. I need to repent of some things I've been wasting. I've been going in debt when I didn't need to, whatever it might be, and just tell that to the Lord. Let him know you're listening. God, I'm listening to your word. And ask him that this month, especially, you'll make the choices. He'll guide you to make those choices with the treasure that you have, choices that will bring him honor and glory. Father, we believe, because we believe he is the son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead, lived a sinless life, we believe that every word he said was true, and so it must be true what he says about finances. And Lord, so we want to honor those things. We want to listen to his word and proclaim freely and truly, Jesus, you're my Lord, and I love you with my heart. So Lord, whatever attitudes need adjusting in our lives, I pray that we would be willing to allow you to guide us in the right direction, to transform our minds and our hearts that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.